Welcome to B2B Marketers on the Mission, a podcast for B2B marketers that helps you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. Each week, we talk to B2B marketing experts who share inspirational stories, discuss their thoughts on trending topics, and provide useful marketing tips and recommendations. And now, here's your host and co-founder of I'm Like Consulting, Christian Klepp. All right, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the B2B Marketers in the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. This is your host, Christian Klepp. And today I am joined by someone, first of all, on the other side of the world and someone who is on a mission to help B2B companies tell better stories through marketing communications. Mr. Donovan Chi, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me here, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And uh, I think, is it 5 a.m. your time over in Bangkok? Yes, yes, that's right. 5 a.m. in Bangkok, but I'm not from Bangkok. I'm not based in Bangkok. I'm actually yeah. Singaporean. I'm right here on a working trip. Yeah. And uh, so I thought, you know, I, I like to start my day early. And that's <laughs> why I decided to do this early in the morning. Because if I were to do it late at night, that's not going to work. I would prefer yeah. to sleep. Well, much appreciated. Thank you so much for getting up early to have this conversation with me. And I'm slightly jealous that you're in Thailand. So if you can... um. You know, when the opportunity arises, have some Pad Thai for me and uh, some Thai iced tea or single beer. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I'm going to, I think, not just Pad Thai. I had my Pad Thai yesterday already. So I'm, okay. I think I'm going to have my boat noodles. Uh, what else do we have? I'm going to have my Tom Yam soup. Mm. Oh, uh, yes. Food here is great. Food here yes. is great. No, fantastic. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's start this conversation. And uh, it's on a topic that I believe is really important. It's also close to my heart, but more uh, more importantly, I think it's a topic that tends to sometimes get overlooked in the world of B2B marketing, right? So on that note, you uh, wrote a post on LinkedIn a while back that got some incredible engagement. And in this post, you talked about how marketing is an art and that the heart of great marketing is good storytelling. So can you talk to us a little bit about this post and why you felt why you feel so strongly about good storytelling when it comes to B2B marketing? That's a great question, uh, Christian. I, I think I've been very lucky to have seen the evolution of B2B marketing. Now, my experience is probably not as extensive as a lot of my other peers within the, the, this function or within this sphere, but I've been lucky enough to have seen how B2B marketing has evolved from the way it used to be to how it is now. In case in point, when I first started out, what happened was I, I felt that marketing or at least the marketing functions that I was looking after, um, it was just about what I would call a coloring book department. You know, we were just doing PowerPoint slides, corporate brochures, corporate profiles, um, updating a website and you sometimes you are almost like an ad hoc photographer just to save money and to them to those companies that was essentially marketing you were just there to support the sales and you were never a face of part or rather a part of helping the company to achieve anything tangible so it's you know you've got a sales colleague who comes to you and say hey don i need this uh corporate prop uh PowerPoint presentation slide by tomorrow. Can you just help me do it? That's the role of marketing. Um, and then, you know, I've also seen where, how product marketing was like when it comes to say advertisements. And you, I re recall having it, uh, being at one of a uh, 
an MNC where we were doing filtration products. And I clearly recall this brand identity guideline that told us that we could do it two ways for our advertising. One, we could either put the product in there or two, we could either put the product packaging in there. There are no two ways about it. And they gave you taglines which were constantly reused all over the world um, because they felt that that was the best way to brand the product. Um, so I will share what exactly happened for that because that was something that I thought we could actually try to achieve something uh, when it comes to creativity. And because they told me that I could only use the product or the packaging, I told them, look, I'm going to try something new. I'm not going to do that. So, you know, Christian, I, I, I suppose you do drive, right? So if you drive, you have to go to a car workshop and you oh, definitely yes, need to yes. change your filters. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So we'll take the point of a cabin filter then. So cabin filter in a nutshell is really meant to filter the air that's coming through your aircon and make sure that everybody's healthy, you're breathing clean air. And I think at that point in time, a lot of the marketing that is being done is geared towards the direct customer, i.e. that is your distributor or your car workshops. A lot of times people forget that these are not the end users. So I took a different approach. I wanted to reach out to the end users to let them understand the brand that they should be looking for when they go to the car workshop and request for a filter change. So you could actually increase then the uh, demand of the filters. And then of course, you know, it would indirectly affect the supply. And of course, then you generate revenue. So for that particular campaign, when we worked out the advertisement, we did it differently. Now, because we understood the pain points of our customers, we always felt that, or rather we always hear what they say, your price is too expensive. I think it's very evident throughout Asia. All the customers would just say, your price is too expensive. Can you lower yeah. it? Or even here. <laughs> yeah, even I think, here. okay, maybe all around the world. Yeah. It's always the price. Mm -hmm. So if the price is the problem, is the quality an issue? And I think that company felt very proud of its quality. And for that, I can. I think it made sense. So if we're going to go by that way, then we decided we wanted to showcase the part where if you invest in a premium product, your car could actually last, last longer or the savings wise, right? That you are going to accumulate during that period would actually be better. So you're going to pay a little bit more for the one-time purchase, yet over the course of say that one year, you'll be changing your filters much lesser than, you know, if you use a, a less premium kind of filter. But a lot of times, you know, your customers are short-sighted. They don't really see that. So we essentially created an advertisement out of that and we then use a uh, we put a a coin bank or rather we drew a coin bank in the shape of a uh, car and the colors were in our product colors so i wasn't go i wasn't deviating away in terms of product packaging but i was just doing it differently when i was doing i was using a coin bank to essentially show that the customer who was uh, going to purchase the product he or she was going to you know, uh, save a lot of money because we're going to have the stack of coins beside the coin bank and we give it the sort of feeling where you buy it, you're going to save money through this car, through this car coin bank. So I think there were a lot of different meanings in that image with a car coin bank in our product packaging with a stack of coins and of course the tagline was uh, worth every cent. And I was say something that I'm very proud of because it was not done 
at all. It had never been done at all. And um, it was something that was very new. Um, and obviously, I had a lot of discussions with head office because they were a little bit, you know, they were a little bit hesitant about going down this route. They were worried that once they do it, they will open a can of worms. But we made a business case. We convinced them. And um, thankfully, it worked. And then this advertisement was voted by my global colleagues as the best advertisement for the year. And coming from, you know, being a novice in marketing at that point in time, I felt so proud and honored by the same time humble, you know, that a lot of my senior marketing uh, colleagues who have so much more years of experience than me, they actually felt that that was worthy to win something. So to be recognized by them was, was, was great. But back to the point on creativity, I think... Uh, sorry, on storytelling. What? Why do I feel that way? I, you know, talking about the evolution of B two B marketing and and why and how it is now today. I've always asked myself, you know, is is marketing actually an art or a science? I always feel that marketing should be an art, not a science, because if you are going to do it as science, it's no different from doing accounting or doing, you know, or being a bio biochemical scientist. No disrespect to those professions, but I feel that in terms of marketing, you by being creative, by being able to come up with great stories, by looking at it as an art form, you're able to really play out the play, play not within the sandbox that you have created, but really think out of the box and push yourself to the limits. Right. And there are no boundaries in terms of what you can create. And that's what I think every marketer should really think about. You know, don't let anything stop you from creating something think about whether it makes sense that that certainly would would be a good question to do but having said that i will always say push yourself first be creative um, think out of the box then you figure out whether it makes sense or not to do it so don't limit yourself and that's that's the reason why i feel that you know storytelling is so essential in, in b2b and especially on the part where you really have to be creative in it yeah, no, absolutely. I I love that case study. I mean, I, I remember in our previous conversation, you yeah. brought up that story and I and, and and I thought it was such a great example of how you could um, you know, like uh, pick your analogy, push the pencil, push the limits, right? Um, push the needle. I mean, and do something unconventional. And uh, you know, we've seen it in B2B time and time again. Uh, it, it's almost like a rank and file approach where everybody is saying you either you know, you talk about the product or talk about the packaging or talk about the services and, and these are the taglines and uh, you know i used to always call those that type of approach reduce reuse recycle right yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is yeah. now you know people are now talking about purpose driven content yes. and it seems like people are now picking it up on it you know right. and, and even simon sinek Right. He is now talking about marketing, the golden circle, right? Yes. Um, and I thought that is a very interesting way to put it because yeah. now people are slowly accepting the fact that nobody cares about your products and services anymore. Right. It's, it's really about how you're going to help solve your customers' pain points or help them achieve their business objectives. So mm -hmm. let, let, we, we should really deviate away from you know talking about your own products and services. Exactly. That, that exactly. wouldn't work anymore. Right, right. Um, you brought up some of these already, but uh, let's talk about some of the common mistakes and misconceptions you've seen out there uh, that B2B marketers make when it comes to storytelling and what should be done to address these. Okay, I think the first thing that really would be a problem as I touched uh, before would be 
focusing too much on your products and services. Um, that shouldn't be the case. Now, we all know how good our products and services are. That's, that's for sure. You're working for a company, you don't want to get fired the next day by saying how bad your products and services are, right? But having said that, of course, the companies that you're working in wouldn't be surviving for so long if they are not doing well enough with their range of capabilities. But what we need to understand is whatever we can do, our customers can do it. Uh, sorry, our competitors can do it, right? Does it make sense or not to be shouting on the rooftop and saying, yeah, we can do this and then your competitors also say the same thing. How are you going to differentiate yourselves? And so essentially how you're going to do that is to make sure that you are able to understand your customers, right? If you understand, clearly understand your customers, their pain points, their business objectives, and you know that you're able to help them achieve that, the, you know, to either help them uh, achieve their business objectives or to help them remove their pain points, then that is the best way you could do when it comes to uh, focusing on the kind of story that you want to develop. And I think that's the reason why we have also seen a rise in customer success stories, right? Nobody, I think about 10 over years ago, it was always about testimonials. You take a quote from someone, you put the, the quote unquote sign. And then after that, you just put a couple of sentences, the name, uh, the title of the, the, the gentleman or the lady that you have spoken to, the company, and then the picture. And then that's it. You will call, call that your track record. But now, you know, those don't work anymore because first and foremost, how are you going to validate it, right? How are you going to verify if it's authentic or not? So customer success stories, I think, are making sense, making perfect sense. In fact, the other day, I was just at KL to do one with a couple of our customers. And it heartens me to actually hear that the products, sorry, the services that we are, we are doing for them, that we are selling to them, um, actually help them remove their pain points. And it helps to actually create a, a wider opportunity for them uh, in terms of what they're trying to do. And then in, that, that, that's the main thing in terms of what you're trying to do when it comes to your business. You want to make sure that your business, your, your services, your products, your capabilities help to benefit not just your customer, but I think right now it's really the society as a whole. We cannot forget that, especially when it comes to B2B marketing, no matter how many times we we. We, we are actually selling, we may be called, called B2B, you, we may be called a B2B function, right? And it's business to business. But a lot of times people seem to forget that they say an end user and that's not the business. The business may be the intermediary, the in-between that is helping us to provide our products or our services to the end user. So if we're able to make sure that we partner our customers and help them do better good for the society or for their end users and benefits the end users, that to me means that your marketing is done very well. Um, and of course, then that would also mean you need to really touch on their, these two organs. I always call them two organs. You got to touch on their brains, you got to touch on their heart because you know, when you're doing B2B marketing, a lot of times, again, we go back to, oh, I'm doing B2B marketing, so I must focus on my products, on my services. But you forget that you're actually selling to a person and your, your, your customers are actually comprising people, right? Your key decision makers that could be C-suite level or could be the operations people. Regardless, the thing is you're actually still marketing or selling to people. And then you need to understand where their 
uh, needs are coming from, right? For example, the C-switch, certainly they'll be looking at profitability. They do not want to make any losses. They want to make sure that their revenue is growing. When you look at the operation side, they want to make sure that the efficiency of the, pro uh, the, the project is being, um, well, double on time, perhaps, you know, uh, or maybe they are looking at less downtime, uh, depending on what the project entails. So if you are able to create stories that help to allay their fears or to help them convince them and ensure that what they are worried about is definitely not a problem for you, then certainly it will help to make sure that they understand what you are capable of doing and add value to what they're doing. That's something that we need to understand that we're not just here to provide the services, the products, and then we just say, hey, we're done. We are also here to add value, be a partner to our customers and ensure that whatever they do, they will get the benefit. And when they prosper, of course, we will prosper because they will come back to us and say, hey, look, you're adding value to my business. I need you again and we'll be glad to help. So then, of course, on the other side, they will know that we understand their business. We understand their, their pain points. We understand the business objectives. They don't need to find another um. A supplier or vendor that thing that you know I have to repeat everything again. What's the point? They now know that they can go to go back to us and they, yep, we know it. We totally understand the business. Absolutely, absolutely. You brought you brought up so many points, and I was furiously taking notes here. <laughs> but let me see. No, there was something that you brought up which um, which I think is so important, and it annoys me how. People used to dismiss this in um, B2B marketing slash storytelling. Like they say, just take the emotion and rationale out of everything, right? Yeah. And case in point, all of those things that you just mentioned, it highlights or it proves the point that emotions are important. It's just not the same. It's just not exactly like hundred percent the same emotion that people apply in B2, you know, in, in B2C, right? In consumer-facing products. But back to your point, it's about like addressing those pain points, alleviating um, uh, the fears, right? And and helping the customer to understand that you are here to help them solve a problem, which goes uh, back to um, another point that you raised about uh, the role, the important and strategic role that I personally feel uh, marketing and communications plays. It's relationship building, right? Because um, it's not necessarily just in Asia, in my experience, it's like all over the world. Once the once the annual contract is up and then it comes to contract renewal, oh man, right? We're gonna have the same conversation again. But as a service provider um, that's doing a good job, if you're delivering and you're helping uh, said client to achieve their goals, then you don't have to worry about them having to you know go and find somebody else because they already know that you know you're here to help them and they've built up this relationship with you and they can trust you to deliver on what it is you promised to do. Right. And, and that's the reason why I always encourage um, marketers to go out and meet customers. Right. A, a lot of times, salespeople may not be too keen to bring marketers out, but yeah. I always say they should go out to get the salespeople to meet customers. Um, I mean, if we look at it this way, the function of the sales team, obviously, is to bring in uh, sales, right? And if we step into the shoes of the customers, sometimes they look at salespeople, they go like, yeah, I know what you're here for. You know, you're just here to try to sell me things again. And it makes perfect sense. So they tend to just, sometimes you may not get any traction out of that meeting. 
But if you go as a marketing, you bring your marketer, all right, or you yourself, I go and visit customers. I look at it from a different point of view and the customers will certainly look at me from a different point of view. And the kind of conversations you would create with the customer would then give you an insight into what they are facing. They would give you a lot of knowledge. You know, they tell you about trends that may be happening within the industry. They may be telling you problems and issues that may be happening within the industry. They may even be able to tell you why, you know, they're not able to sell your products or why what problems their customers are facing. And from there, then you're able to get first-hand data on, on what kind of content you want to curate to make sure that ultimately when they succeed, you succeed. So I always tell my marketers, my team, um, go out, meet your customers. And that's something I also, also like, you know, uh, the, the relationship building part because, you know, subsequently when you go back to them, you ask them, hey, are you happy with this? And does this help you? They appreciate what you do and they understand that we are going the extra mile for them. And I think also the other part where which you mentioned was, I think a lot of people do not realize the B2B buying journey is really very long. It's a long gestation period. It's not like going to the supermarket, you grab something and you're like, yay, let's go. We go. Yeah, no, we, we can go make yeah. our payment already. Mm-hmm. It really is a long period. It could be a tender project uh, or it could be something right. that is, you know, in the making for a couple of years because, mm-hmm. for example, you could just be doing a building and you need to do all your develop, your, your, your pre uh, your, your, your project stuff, right? Before you even start drawing up your first building. So all of these things need to come into the into, to your mind and really understand that because this long period, long buying journey is already there for B2, when it comes to B2B, uh, we have to start right from the, from the start to make sure that you understand all aspects throughout this customer journey, where their pain points are. And once you do that, then you curate the right content to make sure that you elevate or address their concerns at each of these pain points. So as long as we understand that, then there shouldn't be a problem in an ideal world. Exactly, exactly. No, I love it. I love it. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. I'm glad you brought up the topic of research and data because that was such a that's such a beautiful segue into the next question <laughs> because um, it's the importance of having first-party data and research for good storytelling. So your thoughts on those? Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, as much as... Now, I think a lot of times people now think, especially when it comes to modern marketing, data means you know your engagement rates, your clicks, your, your, your MQLs, your SQLs. I, I like to think I go back to the traditional way again. Visiting your customers, that's where you really get your first-hand party data. You speak to them, you know what you're looking for, you ask the right questions, you'll be able to get the right answers. And when you get the right answers, it gives you an understanding of how the industry is like of all what your customers are facing. And I always go back, I make it a point when I go back to do my own marketing reports on what I think, on what they have told me, and what I think could be we could do to help them. And of course, um, the certain, certain situations that could be forecasted you know, uh, two years down the road. 
So that's how we create uh, content or create campaigns for marketing. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of, uh, I, I strongly believe that data, first-party data is essential in terms of helping us understand the customers. So you obviously would have to have gated content for certain sort of content, uh, for, for certain type of content that you're putting out. I, I myself, I would like to use white papers as gated content usually because I think that they are an essential source of information. Uh, that would certainly benefit the customers. And I think customers who are already in a certain advanced stage of the buying journey, they would want to know more information, not brochures where they already know your capabilities. I think those are content that you can actually give it out to them for free. But white papers are good information for them to understand and help them make sure that they feel that they're doing the right thing when it comes to sort of selecting the right service provider. So. That's the kind of first-party data that we would like to collect because then it immediately allows us to reach out to our cust- to these potential customers and speak to them and start the uh, the relationship, right? We need to engage them and nurture them. And one thing is, I think with B2B marketing, a lot of times customers, they actually already know what they want. They're already probably about 20% there. They would have heard yeah. of your name already or yeah. else they wouldn't have come to your website yeah. or tried to look for materials. But they need verification. Right. Yeah, correct. Uh, validation. Probably. Validation, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they are there to actually make sure that they are on the right track in terms right. of, well, you know, is this company really what I think could mm-hmm. help me, you know? And in that case, the information or the content that you put out has to be very useful for them to make sure that they want to click on it. They want to give you their details and to make sure that this is what they are looking for. So once we get it, we immediately speak to them, nurture the relationship. And one thing I realized is having worked in international companies, the the um, the journey is so different in, in different countries. You know, uh, in Europe, I recall, well, actually, I recall this conversation in terms of the fields that we needed to put for our gated content. That was very interesting because at that point in time, when this first started out, I told they told me we needed to nurture the customers at different stages of the buying journey. So at the very first stage, you only need the names their contact details, for example, their email, as well as their uh, telephone uh, numbers, then their country, and that's it. Then subsequently, they would do again, they will send out emails to continue to nurture, and then they will ask for more details again. But I think in within the Asian context, a lot of times you don't want to do that because they are, our customers are busy enough already. You want them to just go straight into it, make it as simple and as easy for them. Go there, input all the details that you need. And once you capture all those details, immediately you start nurturing them. You by engaging them. Not give them another email to say, hey, would you like another ebook? And then you please input all your details again. I think that is one step too many for customers in Asia. And suddenly we want to strike what up. You know, the rod is hot, right? So you make sure that you go straight into it, you engage them because they have already indicated their interest level by downloading your content. Why are we waiting? Go straight into it. Uh, within 48 hours, if that's the process that you have, that's certainly the process that I have indicated for uh, our sales team is to go into it 48 hours, make sure the lead is still hot and speak to them and engage them. And hopefully it results in you know, revenue for, the, for our company. Absolutely, absolutely. So there were two things that you brought up, right? Like in the past couple of minutes, which I want to go yeah. back to. 
first of all, on the topic of gated content, well, first of all, thank you for bringing that up because I am one of these people, right? That if if I read another post on LinkedIn about somebody saying like you should just ungate all your content, I mean, seriously, I'm just gonna back, you know, I'm like <laughs> because I I understand where they're coming from, but I, I I guess it goes back to your point. I don't think that everything should be ungated, and white papers is definitely one of them. Something that's proprietary or something where the company has clearly invested time and resources, like, for example, coming up with research papers, right? I mean, I think if companies are gating that kind of content, that's fair enough, right? That's fair enough. Like, you want you want access to this? Okay, you you got you to gotta give us something in return, right? Number one. Number two, it was the last point that you brought up, um, which is uh, so true. And I, I've seen that play out like um, in, in China or even here in North America a couple of times. What works in one market really well might fall flat in another market, right? And there's yeah. a lot of like factors at play there, as you can attest to, right? There's cultural differences, linguistic differences. People are busy or they're on the road and they're not going to have time to sit down in front of a desktop to fill out a... Uh, a form that has 25 fields in it, for example, right? Yeah. So it's important to, for people to understand those differences because the world has become so much smaller now thanks to digitization and so forth. I mean, look at us. We're having this conversation. You're sitting in Bangkok when I'm here in Toronto, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. And I'm not even busy in Bangkok. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, you talked about some of these already, but break it down for us, right? Tell us about the different components that you think are required for great and effective storytelling for B2B. Okay, that's a very good question. I think a lot of times it comes from within first. You mm -hmm. must really dare to think out of the box, right? And push the boundaries. I think that has to come from within because if you are able to do that, then you should be, at least I hope, be able to think of a lot of creative ideas. But other than that, those kind of, um, the kind of, uh, I wouldn't call them skills, but the kind of uh, attitude or the kind of, uh, the way you would want to approach your storytelling. The other way is really to look at what other industries are doing. Um, it's important that as marketers, you do not just close yourself up and you wrap yourself within the industry that you're looking at, and then you just look at what your competitors are doing. Granted, that's fine in terms of research, that's fine in terms of trying to see the best practices within the industry. But if you look at what other B2B industries are doing, you could pick up a little bit of, you know, go here and there, and you could adapt and see, or rather you could bring it, you know, see what's useful in those, in what they have been doing and see whether you could adapt or not to what you were, you're trying to accomplish down here within your industry. So, don't close yourself and say that, oh, just because I'm in this industry, I'm only just focused on what our competitors are doing and we try to do better than them. Certainly, that's the end game to do better than your competitors in terms of marketing, but you don't have, always have to follow the rule book. Look at what industry, other industries are doing and see what's the best bits. Pick from them, learn from them, and then you throw it in to what you're doing. Um, but of course, you know, when it comes to a real structure in terms of how you're going to really uh, come up with great stories. Um, I think you need to have a uh, structure in place first, a framework in place in terms of how you want to create good stories. So you obviously need to have your context and your background of what the issue is about, whether it's your customer's pain points 
or what their what your what their objectives are. That is the context in terms of why you want to create this story. As long as you know that part, you should be able to start, you know, uh, start to build the foundations of a good story. Next would be how your capabilities actually help to benefit them, not just directly, but as I mentioned before, um, the wider impact on your services, your, your products, your capabilities, how it impacts not just them, but their customers or the society as a whole. Um, then third, of course, do not make yourself the hero. I think that's, that's the part where we have to understand that we are here to provide the solutions for our customers, but ultimately the one that is happy is the customer. So the customer should be the hero because they're now able to do what they need to do. They're now, they, you have actually helped to solve their pain points, right? You've actually helped them accomplish their business objectives. So now they can do what they need to do thanks to you and they are the real heroes because you're actually helping them help build a better place, for example. So if you could focus on them being the hero and you are there as a partner in their journey, that would be part of what I think would, would, would be a good way to, to create a good story. Um, and last but not least, I think you certainly need a call to action. Uh, but it has to be very subtle. We're not going to go like, you know, in Singapore terms, lay long, lay long, come, come. You know, we don't have to do that. It has to be very subtle. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, it has, it, 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 like I mentioned earlier, you know, really nobody cares about products and services. But at yeah. the same time, you want people to know that, hey, I'm here to help you. If you need me, this is where you can find me. Right. Right. So that, I think, in essence, it, it pretty much makes up the, I hope, the, yes. the good, a block building blocks of a good story yeah i think you definitely hit the nail on the head there donovan and um i'm sure you've heard about this before but um i had a conversation with a few guests uh, who were talking about um mm. like especially branding or brand storytelling and so forth right and two names always came up right uh one is joseph campbell and the other one is donald miller right so donald miller is the author of a of a book called build your story brand and joseph campbell was a professor don't quote me on this but a professor of mythology so he just to cut you in there christian yeah joseph campbell yeah. if i remember correctly i'm not sure if you're a Zack snyder fan mm. i i love Zack snyder i watch his yes. man of steel yes i love yes. i love that his version of superman he yeah. actually used joseph campbell's quotes right on on um, the superman symbol Oh, I think I can't remember. Was it the Superman symbol or was it the belt? Maybe. So he Maybe. specifically used that because, mm. like you mentioned, he's a philosopher, mm. and it was mm. so amazing to use a quote. And he actually translated right. it into Kryptonian. So they had oh. to hire a language expert to do that okay. to sort of create a Kryptonian language, okay. and then they use a Joseph Campbell quote to put in oh. there. Interesting. It's amazing. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. This is great. This is great. I love where you're going with this because. Joseph Campbell did research on different legends and myths um, from cultures across the world, right? And he yeah. came up with this format that is applicable, not just in marketing, but I think Hollywood uh, took the took this playbook, right? right? And basically, it's seven steps, right? And and you mentioned you mentioned them, right? So it's a hero has a problem, meets a guide slash partner who gives him or her a plan encourages them to take action so that they will succeed and avoid failure, right? The next time you read a storybook to your kids, look at that pattern. The next time you look at a campaign, 
look for that pattern. The next time you watch a movie, look for that pattern. It's up, it's applied across the board, and the way that you laid it out, it, it falls exactly into that into that format, right? And I love how you brought that up about making the customer the hero because I think it's getting better now. But in the past, we see okay, they're making the company's product the hero of this campaign. Yeah, correct, correct. <laughs> and then it becomes almost like a commercial, uh, yes. or it, it's not not the way to go because ultimately. You want to show how you have actually supported your customer's journey, right? If you're going to make your, your own products, your own services, the hero, hey, then, you know, customers are going to say, are you sure? I could just find another competitor. Exactly, exactly. So you brought up already one great example at the beginning of this conversation, but give us another great example of great storytelling uh, in B2B, either from your own professional experience or something that you've seen out in the market. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't dare to say they are great stories. Not, not what I've done. You know, I'm just, I'll, I'm just going to share some of them though. But um, I wouldn't dare to call them great. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. One of them, one you of them can. is. You can. I, I will allow you to call them. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Humble bragging. No, I, I will let you do. This. I will let you say that it's great. Um, no. Look, here, here's the thing. One of them was when I was at a uh, technology company. Um. And uh, it was do it was all of we were actually doing defense equipment, right? Def- we were essentially a defense equipment manufacturer. Now I think the the thing with defense equipment is that you have, you know, you have always one camp that thinks defense equipment is evil, because it creates wars, it creates death, and fair enough, I totally understand the perspective. So. In essence, when we were when we were looking at trying to create a video story on how to actually make it more relatable and resonate with the common audience, and you know to put a and make sure that it it's it's nice to look at, it feels good to look at, yet at the same time we recognize the importance of having defense equipment. We actually sat down to brainstorm. What should we be doing? No, we we don't want to go down the whole. Um, traditional route of just saying well, this is a rifle these are the specifications this is what it can do full stop that's it next one um, so we created the video and when we came up with this concept we actually had quite a few weeks to brainstorm in terms of why are we doing that what is our purpose in terms of building defense equipment so the idea that we came up essentially was something that I felt it would totally resonate with Singaporeans um, because Singaporean males like me, we have to serve what we call national service. So you spend two years in the army where you learn how to protect your country. Um, So when we came up with the concept of the video, it's all about defending your country, defending your loved ones. And that's why you need defense equipment. So just to give you a gist of what this, this story was about, it was about a man that went back home, um, looked at his daughter that was sleeping, and the daughter was about four or five years old. His wife said hello, and then he got called up to the military because there was an invasion. So he went back to army camp, and then, of course, he was equipped a la Iron Man, you know, with all the different products or with all the different equipment. And that's how we sort of, you know, uh, share the kind of... Uh, 
uh, the, the technical requirements or rather the, the technicalities of each defense equipment in a very subtle way. And of course, you win the war, you go back home, you see your family and you know that your loved ones could sleep peacefully because of what you have done. And it's all because of the defense equipment that has helped to actually defend the country and help to protect your loved ones. And that was in a nutshell, what we did. And it felt that we, it, it resonated very well because we premiered it at one of the trade shows that was open to the Singapore public. And a lot of children were actually sitting down there. A lot of families were standing there to watch. So as much as there are no specific metrics, I think the, the fact that you had families sitting down there or standing there gathering to watch that video, it, it, was, it was happening to see. And you, know, you can just tell your bosses, well, these are the metrics that you actually want, the number of people that's, you know, are looking at your video and that's the kind of engagement we had. And essentially, it made sense for us to go down that route when we created that, that story is because we do not want to just talk about, again, how this equipment can, how, how many rounds this equipment can fire. Really, I think every engineer and every defense personnel would know. But how are we going to make sure that people understand that there is a need for defense equipment you know, uh, without actually harming or without actually being uh, a problem to the society. It really is about protecting your loved ones. And, you know, you have got family, Christian, I've got my family and I want them to be sleeping peacefully. I do not want any, you know, touch with any any sort of invasions or wars. Yeah, no, of course nice. not. Nobody does. Yeah. Exactly. And and this is one way we wanted people to know that, look, the the people that we're selling to or the, the, the defense armies that we're selling to, the they are actually using it to protect their country, their loved ones, and in essence, that's why you could sleep at home. So that's one story that I'm very proud of. Um, and it's still, it, I'm not sure if they're still using it today, but I hope they are. Now, as far as, I, as, as I'm concerned, um, and something that I've heard is they've been using it for quite a few years already, a lot of trade shows, so that was great. But having said that, of course, when it comes to resonating with uh, with, with your audience, you need to find a common point, right? In terms of the culture side of things, or what is it that your audience and you have in common when you're thinking about crafting a story? So you have to always be in the shoes of your audience, understand your audience, what they're looking for culturally, and then create something that makes sense to them. So you, use, you have got an experience that will bond both parties. And that's how you create a good story. All right. Now I'm going to allow myself to say that was a great example of good storytelling in B2B. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, but all jokes aside, I think what I liked about that story, because you uh, you shared that with me in our previous conversation, but what I really liked about that, that case study, if I can call it that, was um, the originality. Because I think one thing that you guys did not do was uh, go down, I would say, the path of predictability. All right. So you didn't we we all know what the what the what the product is, but that's one thing that you didn't necessarily have to like uh, you know uh, shout from the rooftops as as you said earlier on in the conversation, you you created a story around okay what is this product's reason for being and who benefits from well hopefully somebody not using the product but like if they need it it's there right for example. Um, the other one was uh, not making it about the company or the product itself, right? 
and that, and that goes back again to some of the points that you were bringing up um, earlier on in our discussion, right? It's making the customer the hero, making the end customer the hero, um, talking about like what the greater purpose of the company is beyond the the obvious products and services themselves, right? Correct. And, and I think purpose-driven content is essential to what you yes. do. You have to know your company's purpose. You have Absolutely. to know the purpose of what you're doing and why you're doing and how it benefits. If, if you do not sense that purpose, there's no way you can create a great story. And I think that's something that I should have touched on earlier. Hmm. But because purpose-driven content is really the, it will show your customers, the society, or even the end user, what your role is when it comes to um, helping the society, right? And, and that's, also, the reason why I think a lot of marketing nowadays is not just get towards B2B. It's now B2B to C. Right. Because you have, to, you have to make sure that the end user knows what you're doing and why you're doing that. Yeah. And that is a good way because a lot of times, I think when it comes to B2B companies, nobody knows B2B companies as much as B2C companies. Yes. Unless you really have got a good brand name. So in, in essence, when you have a purpose-driven content, the end user would then say, "Ha, huh, okay, look. So this, why when I'm doing this, I now know that this company actually played a role in making sure that what I'm doing right now can be done. You know, for example, if I'm eating a fish that says it's been sustainably sourced from a, a, a farm, for example, but who is it verified by, right? And if the company that I'm working at is the one that has done the verification." And somehow the marketing is so purpose-driven such that I now know, the common man on the, in, on the street now knows what this company is doing. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I think purpose-driven is really the part where we also need to know and really focus on when you try to churn out great content. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Donovan, this has been such a great conversation. I think we could have gone on for another couple of hours, but I think the, the sun is already rising in Bangkok. So <laughs> and the sun is setting over your side, Christian. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's going to set in another hour or two right, over on my side. But um, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and experience with the listeners. So please, quick intro to yourself and how people out there can get in touch with you. Right. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show, Christian. Uh, well, my name is Donovan and I'm actually the head of marketing and communications for Bureau Veritas, which is a company, a French company actually, with over 200 years of history in the testing inspection and certification industry. So I've had, um, I've been in the B2B marketing sphere for uh, about 12, 13 years already. It's not long, not short, but I think uh, it's given me quite a ride so far, quite a journey, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm very happy to be on this journey. Um, well, you guys can find me on LinkedIn if you look for Donovan Chi. Uh, I hope it shouldn't be a problem. But otherwise, you know, you could always message Christian and he'll be able to direct you to where I am at. Um, but this is great. It's really great. And I thank you so much, Christian, for inviting me to be on the show. Fantastic. Fantastic. Once again, thanks for your time. So take care. Stay safe and uh, talk to you soon. Same to you. Bye. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.